Konnichiwa, motherfuckers! Oh, wow. <laughs> Starting out pretty high energy there. Welcome to Cracking One Open with Mike. And Elise. And on this episode, don't adjust your headset <laughs> or car radio or TV or wherever you're listening to this episode. We control, I control the horizontal, the vertical, and the facts. Uh-oh. I am your Uh-oh. stand-in beer fesser, your substitute beer fesser. Mike. <laughs> and today we're doing Crunchy Roll by Alvarium Brewing Company. And Alvarium has made this Crunchy Roll a rice lager. Hell so yeah. I thought we've done Alvarium before. There's not a whole lot of information on the brewery. I thought, womp, womp. We, although we love it, why not have me take point? And do like a history episode because we haven't really done much Japanese beer or any Japanese beer yet, which I think that's a six pack series right there. Mm, Depending on our limitations, package store wise. True, because mostly only the big beers are what's available, which I'll get into. But I think we could probably find six beers. It would probably be all the six beers they offer. Mm, Yeah. Two types of Sabaro, (laughs) Sapporo, two types of like two of the other big brands and then that's it. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure it's available. Anyway, so I was going to do a whole history on rice lagers and how they were developed. And because that seems to be the popular uh, Japanese traditional style Mm -hmm. is these these rice lagers that we have. And as I was doing my research, I couldn't find anything about the history of rice lagers, really. (sighs) But that wasn't the only thing I was going to dive into. I was hoping my dive into the history of rice lagers would kind of lead into the history of the proliferation of beer in Japan and Mm. how Japan got beer and how it became popular and that kind of stuff. Because Mm -hmm. when we think about Japan, what's the first thing that pops into your head beside, beside beer, what's the first thing that pops? Sake. Yeah. So everyone, when they think about, I think other than people like us who are beer people, I think most people think when you think of Japanese booze or any kind of alcoholic drink in Japan, Mm -hmm. you think of sake. It's just what you think of. And that's what they're famous for. Also, can we get some hot sake soon? Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to know when they started brewing beer, how popular beer is in Japan. And what I found was like, Japan is now primarily a beer drinking country. Really? Leaps and bounds. It's something like 80% to 90% of the market is beer now. Or Whoa, compared a, to uh, what in the US? Compared to, I don't know what the US. I'm sure in the US it's a little bit lower. Yeah, I'm just wondering like how much of a discrepancy there is. But I was just shocked about the difference, especially with sake being so popular and stuff like that. Even like for tourists, I would figure that would make the proliferation of sake like just more popular. Just Mm -hmm. people going to Japan only having sake, really. Mm -hmm. But I was way wrong. Now, most of that beer is uh, part of the big breweries. Obviously, the main beer producer... Big beer guys are Sapporo, Kirin, and Asahi. So okay, yep. Obviously, everybody knows Sapporo. Anybody who goes to any kind of sushi restaurant sees Sapporo. They get the big old metal cans. Yep. It's really cool looking. And then I think the second one that you would see around here, at least in the eastern part of the U.S., is the Asahi. Asahi. And then I don't Kirin think I've ever had it, but I can I can, you can see the label, the label in yeah. my mind. Yeah. And then Kirin is the third. I think Kirin actually might be bigger in Japan than maybe Asahi, but. Although I know of the name, you don't really see it around here. At least it doesn't the even label sound doesn't familiar pop to me, into my to be head. completely honest. That's fair. 
Other major beer producers in Japan are Suntory and Orion. So hmm. the history of Japan, it was traditionally, you know, sake brewing was forever what they had. And it was thought that Japan only got beer through about the 17th century. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be the 1600s and from settlers coming in. And then the 17th century Dutch traders came in. And then you had the 19th century. That's when it really kind of exploded. And that is because now for a while I couldn't figure out like, oh, Dutch traders, Dutch traders. I wanted to know why all of a sudden after 100 or 200 years mm-hmm. it blew up. And maybe people think that uh, it was first introduced as a specialty import by Hendrik Doff, D-O-E-F-F, kind of like Duff, like Duff beer, which I thought was kind of cool. So he was uh, the Dutch commissioner in, I'm going to say this wrong, Dejima, Dejima. And uh, he saw a supply from Europe. Obviously, if he was a commissioner there, he had a settlement. His supply was interrupted by the Napoleonic Wars, so they couldn't get their import of beer. So he commissioned a local operation to ensure that he always had beer. And then later in the century, uh, production began in Japan, uh, thanks to another outsider, a Norwegian-American named William Copeland, and he opened the Spring Valley Brewery in Yokohama in 1870. And then hops were discovered growing wild on the island of Hokkaido. So... Japanese people started to find, Japanese locals started to find hops on their island. And a man named Sebi Nakagawa uh, was dispatched to Germany to learn how to brew this beer. So Japan kind of realized, hey, we have hops. We can brew beer ourselves. We don't have to be reliant on these, you know, foreign settlers coming in and being like, hey, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. So he went to Germany to learn their techniques and they started Pioneer's Brewery in 1875. Huh. Their flagship beer was called. Sapporo cold beer. Oh. So you can see where this is going. So obviously Pioneer's Brewery became Sapporo. Yep. So obviously you can see why they probably changed their name. Sapporo is definitely more, uh, obviously it's their most popular beer and also it's just. Kind of more recognizable. It's a Japanese name. Yeah. And probably the Japanese locals didn't like the name Pioneer's Brewery. Yeah. It kind of is very a white name (laughs) and probably very like foreigner centric and the yeah. whole point of the brewery was to send a japanese person to make their own to be like kind of independent so mm-hmm. that's pretty cool other brands started to dominate the market um in that same period so around 1875 or so the late 1800s and that's going to be kirin and asahi so you'll notice there's kind of a trend there with those names sapporo mm-hmm. kirin and asahi those are the three yep. main breweries and those are still the three main breweries now and that's because of Japanese laws. It's almost like they were made in their favor, which never happens in America. No, (laughs) not at all. So there were a bunch of tax laws and stuff to protect the domestic beer market, um, but it really stopped any kind of new, smaller, competitive companies from opening. And this is in the early 20th century this came out. Mm -hmm. So a massive amount of minimum annual production was required. And watching some documentaries on YouTube, it was something like 2 million liters of beer was required to to legally make beer. So it was basically impossible beyond like the three main breweries to, to make any kind of beer. And this lasted until 1994 when the tax laws were amended to allow smaller brewers to operate. 
But it still took a long time for that to change as well, because Mm -hmm. although 1994 was when the law changed, it just changed to some other ridiculous number as well. Okay. It kind of kept getting smaller and smaller as they went. I think, I think I saw 2008 and 2013, (laughs) uh, depending on like where you consider what's small enough to be not a crazy law. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, the first craft brewery to open in Japan was called Ichigo Beer, uh, and they kind of stuck the balance between the dry beer that kind of was big in Japan and the new German American craft brewing techniques that started out. So they did pale ales and stouts, but they also made a rice based lager that competes with the bigger players in the market uh, as well. So they, they make their own kind of support. Sapporo type beer. Interesting. And then, yeah, there's two, there's two other breweries as well. Craft breweries that kind of stood out to me, which is, a cost beer, which sounds more Russian than Japanese, I think, at least in the way it's spelled. Okay. Kostk, but it could still be Japanese. Uh, they obtained their license in 1994 when the laws changed. Hmm. And they're not globally distributed, which is kind of weird for the amount that you still have to brew. Yeah. Maybe because their popularity. Um, but they remain a popular brew pub in Hokkaido. So they still have their brew pub, hmm. but they brew, they've been brewing for quite a long time. And there's also Kiyuchi, which is a long-established sake brewery that turned to beer in 1996. And wow. its flagship brand, Hitachino Nest, is now familiar worldwide, and they're well-known for their white ale. Now, I don't know if I've had Hitachino, but I've heard of it. Okay. Yeah, that's So we might have seen it, or, or no, I'm not sure. So they have actually have a brew-on-premises operation, mm-hmm. so you can actually brew on-premises um, to brew your own beer and help people and other brewers kind of make beer, kind of like I guess like a twelve percent. I was I was literally just going to make that comparison, <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of cool. But I guess they yeah. also make their own beer, not just like twelve percent as just everybody else makes beer. Mm-hmm. And then, so another one I wanted to bring up was called um, Yoho Brewing Company, mm-hmm. and it's often I guess known as the Sierra Nevada or the Sam Adams of Japan uh, because it opened kind of the door. For other craft breweries in Japan. Uh, and the main brewer, Toshi Ishii, honed his craft in America um, with three years at Stone Brewing. Huh. So he returned with uh, a knack for cast conditioned ales and other kind of American styles and stuff like that, because obviously our craft industry is booming, which has helped yeah. theirs as well. Um, because all the popularity on social media about, hey, go to this craft brewery and this craft brewery, Japan has noticed that. And the Japanese people have noticed that. And so laws have really like in 2013 is when I guess they became really relaxed and tons of breweries are now kind of popping up all around, you know, the cities around Japan. Baird Brewing, I guess, is considered a Japanese brewery as well, which I have also heard of, but they um, are out of Japan. But I feel like I've heard of Baird Brewing. I could be wrong. I could just know it was Baird as a company and it's not I'm a pretty, company. Yeah, because <laughs> Baird is a, also a local cement company, I believe. <laughs> yes. Maybe that is why. Yeah. So there's another thing about beer that I found very interesting. So brewed alcoholic beverages in Japan are labeled and taxed according to their malt content. Um, and that's the amount okay. of alcohol derived from the malted grains. So legally, beer must have at least 50% malt, which is not the same as in the U.S., Although I guess we have malted beverages. Yes. So I think the amounts might just be different. 
Um, Weird. Still about 50%. So malted beverage with less malt, while they'd be considered beer still here, are known as haposhu, uh, haposhu in Japan. And those are very popular drinks. They're also, uh, haposhu is translated as low malt beer. It's taxed less, um, so it's cheaper and has more appeal to the consumer. And then there's a third category of beer with 25% malt or no malt at all. Uh, and they're just called third category beers or Daisan no Biru huh. or new genre, Shinjanru. So that's even lower tax despite not being labeled beer as such. It's just kind of being like, it's not beer, non-beer. Okay. Uh, so to replace the highly taxed malt, some brewers have started to develop innovative sources of storage, starch and sugar um, to be fermented in alcohol so they don't get taxed. So they're uh, soy peptides, pea protein, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they have some very interesting ingredients in some beers in Japan. Like, there are like soy beers, pea beer, obviously, stuff like that. Like P-E-A, <laughs> not pea. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they have some really cool beers. Some beers they were talking about taste like grape juice. What? Some tasted like soy sauce. So they have oh. some really cool, interesting things. I would probably love the soy. I love salty beers. Well, yeah, I mean, I love soy sauce, but mm, I don't know. I don't know. And then some of them have started to kind of introduce warm beers, although they traditionally do their beer cold as well. Mm -hmm. I think really England is one of the only places where you get like room, room temperature, temp maybe yeah. France. More like the what we would consider like European. Mm hmm. But in Japan, they've started to introduce that as well as no carbonation beers, which Ooh. so they have kind of those kind of stout taps. Yeah. Like you see where you have to pump the beer out. Uh -huh. But they have other types of beers other than stouts in there. And they want they think it enhances the flavor and the aroma of beer and changes it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they introduce some of like the hardcore uh, breweries or tap rooms in brew pubs in. I don't remember where I watched the documentary where they visited like four. I think it was Tokyo. But it might have been one of the other major cities like Osaka or Hokkaido. They have a bunch of those pump taps and they want you to try their beer in both ways to kind of introduce other ways of tasting beer, huh. which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so I learned a lot about that. They also have seasonal beers, but they call them like autumn beers and summer beers and winter beers, kind of like we do. But like yeah. they don't have like the pumpkin or, or the Oktoberfest and this and that. They're mm -hmm. like literally named for their seasons. So there are currently over 200 microbreweries in Japan, although the number might be financially tied to larger sake producers, restaurant chains, resort hotels, or similar. So some of them might be considered microbreweries, but they're tied to bigger people. Like some sake people want to try to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. And obviously some restaurant chains make their own beer, kind of like in the U.S. Like, okay. like we always talk about uh, Pig & Whistle, mm -hmm. oh. resort hotels, something like that. But they have... All types of different beers, IPAs, Stouts, Pilsners, Weiss beer, Kolsch, fruit beers. But that's just kind of starting to take off because they mostly were the traditional German styles. And that's where the rice lager came in. They didn't have as much malt. They can introduce rice because rice is very prolific in Japan, obviously. Yep. So that is why, logically, they started introducing rice into their beers to get an extra sugar source, uh, starch source, than what you typically have. But they're all mostly very german styles that have german hops and stuff like that so that is where rice beers kind of took off and now that american breweries and craft breweries have taken off with all these weird styles like ipas um the japanese microbrewery um scene is kind <laughs> of taking off with all that um but rice 
beers or rice lagers and are all German style mostly because of where it came from. So now beer has taken over, you know, 80 to 90% of the alcohol market in Japan. Yeah. And that's about it. So beer can also legally be consumed almost anywhere in public in Japan, unlike the US. Whoa. But notable exceptions for organized events, summer festivals, and spring cherry blossom parties. I don't know what the exceptions would be. I guess you can't have it in organized events or some maybe be like no alcohol, don't get loaded kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But social convention is so important in Japan. You have to be proper. You have to be polite. And the law in Japan are so strict. Yeah. Like if you get busted for anything in Japan, you're staying in prison and they can jail you for up to three months or six months before you await trial. And there's no bail. (sighs) No matter if you're local or a foreigner or whatever, you're on vacation, you break the law. You're staying there for three to six months. Jesus. Uh, So that was a different documentary I watched a while back that taught me about that. So don't get drunk. Don't drink and drive or ride a bicycle drunk. Um, So fines, prison time, and other penalties can be applied to individuals deemed responsible for supplying alcohol, just like in the U.S., to an intoxicated driver, of course, and people in the same vehicle as the driver. Oh. So if you're drunk and you were too drunk to tell the driver of the, the car, listen, you shouldn't be driving. Well, then you're also at fault, which I don't think is something I've heard of in the U.S. No. But maybe. So, yeah, that is basically the history of beer in Japan and kind of the scene. If you go to any of these microbreweries, they are really small, um, but really cool looking, really inventive. And that's the crazy so many part is beers. like if they're that small, but they yet they still have to produce that much beer. They don't anymore. That's the, that's what changed in 1994. Uh, that two million liters was it changed. Okay. Other than that, that's why the law was always there. It was like you have to have this much, mm-hmm. which kept the three big ones only the only ones in production. And 30 years later, almost 30 years later, people really haven't been quite able to catch up yet, which is obviously how. The big three kind of like it. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Uh, But they have so many interesting flavors. I do have one thing about our beer today. Okay. It's got Sriracha Ace hops. Yeah, that's right. I get a new hop. (gasps) So now I'm talking about this hop. Yay. Sriracha Ace hops are a dual purpose hop from Japan. Uh, They are a cross between Brewer's Gold, Saz, and Baiki Number 2 Male. So that's another hop by key number two. Yeah. Uh, It was developed in Japan in 1984 for, surprise, Sapporo Brewing Company. There we go. Uh, Sapporo Brewing Breweries Limited. Uh, Is a dual purpose hop that can be used in all hop additions throughout the brewing uh, process. They have aroma descriptors that include lemon, lime, and dill. So it's a very grassy kind of note, which is very popular in a lot of rice lagers in Japan. True. So it has low alpha acids. It's got pretty much low everything. (laughs) Uh, Low beta acids, low alpha beta ratio. Uh, It's got a good hop storage index, which is probably also why Japan uses it a lot. It -hmm. seems in a lot of rice lagers. A lot of the make your own beers I watched on YouTube for rice lagers use this exact, use the Sriracha Ace hops as well. Um, But yeah, it seems pretty low on pretty much everything. Uh, It's got a high immersing content. And again, low humulene. Pharisine, caryophylline, which I don't even know what that is. Uh-uh. It's kind of average on pretty much everything. It's not high on too much except for like a high-ish mercine content. And it can be used in Belgian wits, IPAs, pale ales, Belgian ales, and saisons. Weird. That's right. 
And that is all the information I have for you on that. And obviously our brewery is Alvarium. They're located in New Britain, Connecticut. They're big on the B because that is something to do yes. with New Britain and their history. You can check out our other episode we did on Alvarium where we kind of at least goes more into their history. They don't have a whole lot on their history. No, I kind of honestly went more into the history of New Britain and why Alvarium decided to honor them in the way that they did. So check out our episode on Fresh by Alvarium Brewing. I don't remember what number it is, but you can search that in Spotify, I'm sure. Yeah, do look for Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so their brewery is really cool. It's all hexagons, obviously, because the B RGB lighting, huge tap room where you can see as you're drinking into their entire brewery operation, which I always like when you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Alvarium's great. Uh, it's not too far a drive from us. We've never been, but everything they do there is great. They do yeah, an Ecto Cooler beer. Yeah, everything we awesome. Yeah, so I definitely El recommend Cabron, you check fresh, that. Cabron is honey amazing. Shot. Honey Shot's so good. Check them out. Uh, they're available at least in Connecticut. It doesn't show like how far um, they go. I'm going to guess they're probably Connecticut local, only. Yeah. Is my, yeah. But check them out if you can, if you're in the Connecticut area. or if, Obviously, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are just from Connecticut. Yeah. Check out Alvarium if you haven't already. And let's get we're, into. Yeah, I was going to say we're selling this too hard before we have the actual. Beer. Let's get into <laughs> the beer. Woo. All right. So not only did I have to be professor. But I also had to get the beer and the glasses. Well, you're on the right <sighs> side of the couch for that. Um, I know. I was really looking forward to be on the, the left side of the couch this time. But, you know, you're also the recorder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you ready to crack open this can? Hell yes. Do you want to go over the can art when we go to the can art? It, we'll see. <laughs> I'm just really. I don't like free balling re- it. I like to have everything written down. Basically. <laughs> I'm not that type of podcaster, but yeah, I am really excited to try this. Not only because Alvarium is like completely solid in our experience of tasting it, but because it, we've never had Crunchyroll before. And every time I see something related to it on Instagram, it, people are raving about it. I remember like us always being disappointed. We couldn't find Crunchyroll. Yeah. So I was excited. We saw the set. We actually got this at Whole Foods. Yeah. And we're like, oh, they have it. And we had to get it. And also after watching all of the Japanese documentaries and stuff mm-hmm. I've been watching, I really want sushi. Oh, I'm down. <laughs> like, oof. I am down. Oof, I'm and in then sushi also this past weekend, we were at Tribe of Swing Fest and they have their rice lager out, which like really got me in the mood for this. Yes. What was their rice lager called? Biru. Oh, Biru. That's right. Duh. <laughs> Yeah, Biru is really good, but so is, I assume this. Honestly, I don't think I've had a rice lager I haven't liked. Anyway, let's crack this puppy open. All right, all right, all right. Oh. Um, Did you just Technical difficulties. So I cut my nails today. All right. And I cut them down to the nubs. So y'all get a double crack here. <laughs> all right. For new listeners, I crack, I cut my fingernails way too short way too short to the point where just skin sticking out really so i can't open things it's gross but i can't do anything about it he is set in his ways and honestly unless you bleed it's not like you're exactly hurting anything i just can't open cans well (laughs) (laughs) so this is oh this smells good pretty perfect so a rice lager should be pretty much clear Yes. And a light straw color. It's a little bit more yellow than what I would imagine it would have been. 
but it's not too it's bad. It's pretty straw, I'd say. It's a light straw, incredibly clear. Yes. Lower carbonation. Mm, no head on your because glass. it's yeah. Oh, well, on your glass, yeah, it's all sticking. Not a big head. Nope. Uh, I think that has to do with the fact that it's mostly malt. Yeah. And sugars, and not so much with um hops. Mm-hmm. There's only one hop. It's not overly hopped. All that kind of stuff. So I am very excited. This looks like easy drinking. This looks yeah. so good. Cheers. No. What? Oh. Not cheers. Kanpai. 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 That's Japanese for cheers. Or what they say. Wow. Oh, yes. Wow, 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 wow. It is awesome. It's so good. Now, I really want sushi. This would Can go we get great sushi for sushi. dinner? Are you buying? <laughs> <laughs> Near perfect. Yeah. It is crisp. So crisp. Slightly sweet. Slightly, not slightly, pretty malty. The carbonation is almost fluffy. But what you think is, I think the fluffiness comes from it's not biting bubbles. It's lightly carbonated. Yeah. And there's there's enough carbonation. There's no no bitterness to this, really. Oh, I think there's a slight bitterness at the end, whatever they like. Mm -hmm. There's like, oh, it's beer. All right. All right. Take another sip. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You do get a. It's kind of the same like bite that you get at the end of Sapporo. Except I feel like Sapporo is a little bit more bitter at the end. Yeah. Here's the thing that I think I really like about Sapporo that I haven't found in any other rice lager that I've had is Sapporo has a tinniness in a good way. Yeah. Like I usually don't like when a beer, like I used to hate cans because until like newer cans are lined and you can't taste, it doesn't taste like you're drinking a can. Yeah. But when we were 21, can technology Cans wasn't where sucked. it was. Yeah. Like Coca-Cola is still great from a can. It well, there but Coca-Cola there, is there's always Coca-Cola from, a, from a can. There's Coca-Cola from a bottle and there's Coca-Cola on draft. You it, have different experiences right. with each. And, and then there's McDonald's Coca-Cola. <laughs> which is because they're served in steel drums. Mm-hmm. And they're the only ones who get that specialty. But I think that Tin had ruined most beers and I wasn't a big fan of cans back in the day, which mm-hmm. I understand the need for cans now because obviously glass can't be recycled as many times as aluminum. Yeah. Glass can only be recycled once or twice where aluminum can be recycled ad nauseum. And now that cans are kind of lined and you don't get that tinniness when you're drinking from a can, I'm fine with drinking from cans. Mm-hmm. It's not as fun as drinking from a bottle, but I'm okay with it. I would prefer the thing about cans is I have to pour it in a glass if it's beer. I yeah. don't like drinking beer from cans, whereas I love drinking like Coke from a can. That's just weird. Like, I don't feel like <laughs> I need to pour it in a glass like, to get the same experience. But with beer, I feel like I need it to air out. I need it to be in a glass. Okay. That's, whereas with a bottle, totally also the fair. way you drink from a bottle, I feel like it's not as necessary. But cans had always had that liningness to it, which I didn't like. But in Sapporo, that teeniness kind of adds to the beer. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get to that point that I was trying to make. But yeah, I think that <laughs> tinniness adds to a Sapporo. And as much as I prefer to support craft breweries, there's something about that tinniness in a Sapporo I love. But it also makes the beer less crushable. Although Sapporo yeah, is pretty crushable. It's pretty you crushable. You do drink a, a Sapporo a little slower. Granted, we always get the ginormous cans. Yes. The, it's 
a, a lot of servings. Yeah. But what's nice though is I like when we're getting sushi, generally they'll give you that tin, that giant tin can. Right. And a glass and then next a glass to it. next to it. So the can kind of really keeps it cold while you're pouring it out in smaller portions. Well, that's the greatness of the Sapporo can. It's so yeah. insulated. It's yep. a thick can. You're not mm-hmm. crushing that can. No. I'd love to see someone try to do that, the head crush. <laughs> it's not gonna <laughs> They'd happen. Knock themselves out. Yeah. Even Homer couldn't do his stomach can crush. You just uh it's it's something about that teeniness of the Sapporo, which I really like, that none of the other rice loggers have. That doesn't mean I don't, I like this less, but I don't usually, I'm not usually all for big beer. Yeah. Sapporo is one of the rare instances where they're doing something really right. Absolutely. The other big beer brand I like is Heineken. Yeah. Oh, it's been a long time I'd since we had a Heineken. I'd be very doing a Heineken episode because it is big beer and I'd love to go into the history of Heineken and like why I like them, mm-hmm. how they got started. How their relationship medals. with James Bond. I am interested in how that started, but I don't know if I'll find out about how that started. <laughs> that just me. That might just be like, hey, a we have a accident. We have a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but most of the time, big beer doesn't do a lot of stuff right because they don't need to anymore. So they don't innovate. They don't really go for customer taste. They're mm-hmm. kind of stuck in their ways, and other people improve upon things, and they're like, we don't need to because we make so much money. Yeah. Although I will say, I think that kind of uh, attitude is nearsighted and I think it's going to come to an end with our generation and our appreciation for craft beer. I feel like the tides are kind of turning in that way where... I think some companies will be in trouble. Yeah. Especially as the people that like Budweiser, A, Hillbilly is going to love their their Budweiser. That's fair. Yeah. They're never going to not. But <laughs> people like my dad who really like Coors Light and stuff, he likes craft beer as well. Like he, he mm-hmm. likes some craft beers. Yeah. Um, but I think that that generation is going to get older as that generation gets older. And these people that are really like the base market for big breweries mm-hmm. are going to get to the point where they literally just can't drink beer or they can't drink as much beer. Mm-hmm. Because as you get older and it's going to be sad when we get to this point, you can't have alcohol. At some point you hit like 80 and it's like. You can't have it anymore. Mm. Like I remember my grandfather had a beautiful decanter uh, with either scotch or whiskey in it. You've told me about in this. His, in his dining room. I never saw him drink ever in my life. I have never seen my grandfather drink uh, maybe a wine at like weddings. Never saw them drink. They never had li- liquor in any other gatherings, but there was always that whiskey or scotch decanter. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he drank every once in a while when people weren't around. But once he hit 80, that decanter was nowhere to be found. Oh. So, I mean, and then it happens when you get older. It's like one beer is too bad. You can't have a shot. You can't yeah. do this. And the audience for your customer base for Budweiser, for Coors Light, for maybe Heineken. I feel like Heineken's a little, yeah. a little younger. Yeah. But some of these big beers are going to go down because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that. That was my point that I was getting at. Oh, but I don't mean just die off. I just mean they're just not going to be able to buy it even. Like they'll be alive and be like, mm-hmm. Budweiser. And there'll probably be articles about older people putting up a stink and writing articles about why it should still exist. Mm-hmm. But they can't buy it because they're too old to be able to drink. <laughs> like they literally can't drink anymore beyond their doctor's orders. Yeah. But where were you going with that? Just that it's going to, oh, just that they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. 
But then craft breweries will pop up and become big and you'll get. Exactly. You'll get other breweries that are so big that they'll lose sight of who they were. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle, I'm sure. You either it's die a, a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Exactly. Or like George Lucas it's gonna said. It's going to be a, a big like bubble every couple decades. You know, generations. Yep. At least it'll happen now, whereas before for like 100 years. It was a f- group of fucking monopolies. Yeah, it was a monopoly. But like, I also like George Lucas's quote where it's like, when he made Star Wars, he set out to disrupt the film system in the way he made the the movies. He didn't follow some of the Directors Guild rules. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone thought his film would fail. He set up his own special effects studio, all that kind of stuff. Like he set out to, as like he was the rebellion, out to destroy the empire. <laughs> and he ended up creating his own empire and became an emperor himself. Mm-hmm. And he says that in the, I think, the Magic of Star Wars documentary, which is like a three-hour documentary. But if you haven't watched it and you love Star Wars, it's one of the best film documentaries I've ever seen. And mm. George Lucas is pretty honest about everything he says. Like he even says he became the villain in the end. Like not saying like, Oh, the prequels are bad or anything. Just like he's super corporate because he was forced to be basically Stone brewing Sierra Nevada. These big breweries that we love mm-hmm. uh, bass, but these breweries are going to become Either Budweiser will spend the rest of their money to buy some of these Mm -hmm. um, to become relevant, or these will be the Terminator stepping on those skulls (laughs) and becoming the next big beer. Yeah. And maybe because they have to put out such a huge output, we'll stop innovating quite as much. I really like that visual. Thanks. If we were better at like making memes, we could do like the Terminator face being Stone Brewing logo <laughs> yeah. and Budweiser being the skull and just copying the scene from Terminator 2. <laughs> but anyway, back to this beer because we barely talked about it. Well, because I've been busy drinking it, this is amazing. So what I wanted to bring up way back, if you scroll back in the episode, you'll hear at least say that the beer is sweet. That's not just from the malt. That's also from the, the rice. rice. Yeah, The rice gives it a sweeter sensation than Mm -hmm. most malts will and you'll notice that you know when malt's super sweet like with mexican lagers okay yeah yeah yeah. and surveys cervezas and stuff malts are cereal sweet Mm -hmm. they taste like you've got like a honey glaze on it in this it's not like that it's not very you could taste some malt no and it's not sugary sweet either it's a it's a very unique sweet it's a sweet that dissipates quite quickly yeah you're not left with like a on your tongue right which i mean i like in a mexican lager Mm -hmm. i love that in a mexican lager aka cerveza Mm -hmm. but those are that's kind of like its own style of lager but in this it's like that sweetness comes it's there it goes away and then there's that little bit of bitterness but not too much bitterness in fact this might have such light bitterness that my mom could probably drink it oh for sure because there are some beers where she's like and your dad would probably like it too Oh, my dad would love this beer. Yeah. No doubt about that. This is right up my dad's alley. My brother would probably love. Well, I know my brother really likes Sapporo, mm-hmm. which I'm surprised he doesn't just stock his fridge with Sapporo. True. It's light. It's low in alcohol. You can drink a ton of it. It's not that low in alcohol. Sapporo's not like everything else. Uh, <laughs> Do I need to look it up? According to my memories of having like two Sapporos at a work dinner and having being like, Wee. <laughs> but did you have the big Sapporos? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like having four beers. 
And when you have sushi, you only have California rolls, which have no fish in them. No, this was at Tangdo where I was having like the oh, whole. Oh, hibachi as well? Yeah. Oh, something else that's interesting that I didn't bring up because it didn't really relate to a rice lager specifically, but the big three, Kirin, uh, Asahi, and Sapporo, mm -hmm. had what's called the Dry Wars. Uh, so the Dry Wars, where obviously Japanese beers are considered pretty dry. This is a dry beer. Okay, yeah. The Dry Wars were, let's make the driest possible beer. So it's like extra dry, super dry, ultra dry, mega dry. And they just kept trying to one up each other with the driest possible what? versions of their beers. And some of them are popular enough that they still survive today. That would be really interesting to find. Uh, you can find you can still find a couple of them, I think, in the United States as well. All right. Uh, I'm done. That's ridiculous. But also, I've been talking a lot. You have been talking a lot. It's not that ridiculous. Yeah, support is only 4.9. Really? Yeah, so okay. you, you just had too much Sapporo and too many cucumbers and rice. <laughs> oh, then you say you had some hibachi. Yeah, that was when I was having like the, the salmon and the, That's true. the okay. lo mein and the, the fried rice. But remember that like each Sapporo is like two and a half beers or something. That's like huge cans. Yeah. Although, uh, maybe you're more of a heavyweight now. You definitely would be able to handle it now. Yeah. But it also depends yeah. on the day. That's true. Anyway. This beer is a tall boy with a wraparound label, not a full press. The main logo is kind of like a pointillism style like you'd expect from Japan with kind of a cartoon anime look to it. And it's chopsticks taking apart three sushi rolls uh, stacked together. I guess a roll of six. Three sushi pieces. The top piece is being lifted off now the middle piece has some sushi in the middle i was gonna say i really like that you can see like the, the guts of the it guts of it yeah so the top piece is the middle piece is definitely a sushi roll the top piece instead of sushi in the middle has a beer can opening with mm -hmm. the tab and the, and the opening it's, so it's really like clever the three are a can it is really clever and there's black chopsticks picking it up the pointillism kind of fades out so the points the dots kind of spread out so what i the the only like interesting thing that i would have had to contribute to this aside from what you're talking about is i think that the pointillism effect of it also reminds me a lot of like salmon it is it's like scales it's really like there's shiny rose gold and then there's just kind of like matte almost rose gold not yeah. quite yeah that it's really pointed out but it's like scales yeah or like armor or something like that mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and then Crunchy roll goes down the side, but it's almost done as if they were Japanese characters uh, or cuneiform, but it is in English and it says crunchy roll, obviously crushable rice lager in black font underneath it. The rest of the can is all white. There's a strip on the left side that says artistry through industry, which if you remember our last episode on artisan was or on last episode on Alvarium was what they that's their tagline. Mm -hmm. Then they have the independent craft brewery logo, which I like. And then they have a recycling logo where around it it says, I believe in reincarnation, which is interesting. Like the can's going to be reincarnated in something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says, come on down for a pint and have a crisp high five. Alvarium Beer Company. And this is the only place the Alvarium logo is on the left side. It's very small with a little B. It's like they have a tiny version and a regular version of the logo. It's a tiny version. It still has the hexagon or the octagon. No, the hexagon. The tiny B and it says BC, Alvarium Beer Company. 
365 John Downey Drive, New Britain, Connecticut, 06051, AlvarianBeer.com, hashtag AlvarianBeer. Their barcode is a regular barcode, but on top of it, there are two chopsticks, and below it, there's a bowl. So the barcode lines are noodles being lifted out of a bowl, which I think is really awesome and clever. It's so clever. Then on the bottom strip around the can, it says Alvarium. Uh, it's like a black strip. It says, keep refrigerator, do not age, drink now. And on the right side, there are the signatures of the owners. On the very right side of the can proper, there's the Alvarium Beer Company logo itself, which is Alvarium Beer Co. as the outer circle. And on the inner circle, there's a hive with a bunch of bees. And the opening to the hive on the bottom is a pint glass. I've never noticed the opening as a pint glass until now. Like it's not a typical square. It's a pint glass. Oh, all right. All right. I see you checking me out. Why don't we slip away from the party and see how fast you can pound me behind the shed? And that is a, a quote from the sentient can of Japanese rice lager you hold in your can. It wants to be pounded behind the shed. And then you've got a note from the, co- the co-founders. Thanks for picking up this can. Clearly you have good taste and or an attraction to shiny objects. By holding this can, you have inadvertently formed a bond with it and imprinted a piece of your soul inside. Putting the can down may cause emotional damage to the contents, causing it to act out against future drinkers. Please keep your new friend cold and consume fresh for maximum happiness. Dispose of empty husk in recycling bin. No tears. It had a rich, fulfilling life with you, and nobody can take that away. Drink fresh. Drink dank. Brian, Mike, and Chris. Founders. Friends. Craftsman. <laughs> Pretty ridiculous, but I love it. I love it. My soul's inside this can until I drink it, apparently. So yeah, that is my history on Japanese beer. A little janky, but it's, it was all there. It was all there. And uh, I even did the hops this time for my beer, which... Any of the times I've taken point, I've never done the hop, so. And you had a new hop. And I did a new hop. I'm so proud of myself. I'm very proud of you. You did an excellent job as beer fesser. I am honored to have handed the the torch over to you for this episode. And next week's episode. Yes. So next week's episode shall be a, a collaborative effort. I'm excited for that. I'm going to be doing the history of... Oktoberfest, y'all. What, what? And At- I will be doing the history of the the brewery and the beer, the this particular beer from this particular brewery. That's right. I would be empty mug club if I wasn't talking this entire episode. Yeah, I feel like if you if you wanted to, you could be empty mug club in like three seconds, but I want you to enjoy this. So I'm gonna consider this an honorary empty mug club. Because I take point on the tasting notes and then I had to do the other thing and you made me do the can thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm editing an almost hour long episode tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode. And if you enjoyed it, please rate it, review it, share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on crackandwhenopen.com or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at crackandwhenopen, or shoot us an email at crackandwhenopen at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions, because we always want to hear from you.
And on that note, what do you got to plug? I don't know, man. Can't I just enjoy this beer? Didn't I talk enough? Plug for me. You know what I say. Ah, you can find me on my other podcast, Forgotten Cinema, where I uh, co-host with my buddy Mike Field, where we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, maybe don't love about it, but we always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own (gasps) forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever podcasts can be found or on ForgottenEntertainment.com because we are also part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. And I've got audiobooks on Audible. Check them out. Michael Butler. I got a whole bunch. Listen to the samples. Find the book you want and buy it because I don't make money on them unless you buy them. Uh, Yeah, I want to enjoy my beer. So I usually go over them, but I talked enough. You've heard me enough. So that's all I got. Well, and then there's a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Until next time. Kanpai. Kanpai. Now leave me alone. I have to finish this beer. Five, four, three. (laughs) Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.